0: This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. The government has received the advice of Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health and the COVID-19 command table, recommending that the province close down all public elementary, middle, and high schools for two weeks following March break. I've swiftly accepted that advice and I've issued a ministerial order under the Education Act to close all publicly funded schools from March 14, 2020 through to April 5, 2020.
1: On a windy Friday, this University of Toronto campus is not exactly buzzing with
0: student life. For the next little while, it will only get quieter. Today, Canada's biggest university, along with many others across the country, made the decision to cancel all face-to-face classes and move them online. Millions of Canadians are at home, schools are closed, and Canada is undergoing an unprecedented shift to distance or online learning. Internet access, Zoom classes, and MS Teams meetings get much of the attention but the shift to online learning involves more than just the technology. Adapting course materials to the online learning environment can create significant new challenges for teachers and students alike. Open educational resources, which often results in open textbooks, provides a model for convenient cost-effective access with no copyright barriers to worry about expensive texts to purchase or restrictions on adaptation, customization, or reuse. David Porter has been involved in open and distance learning since the 1990s, notably as the Executive Director of BC Campus and then the CEO of eCampus Ontario. He is currently the Dean of Innovative Learning and Senior Special Advisor for Flexible Learning at Humber College in Toronto. He joined me on the podcast to discuss how the current shift to online learning places the spotlight on the benefits of OERs and open textbooks. David, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Hey, Michael. Glad to be here.
0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. How are you keeping... What's what's the situation?
1: Yeah, we are... uh, I work at Hummer College, and we're all working remotely currently and have a really good setup with respect to software and services that keep everybody in the loop. And we've gone to, you know, daily team meetings and uh, a live, open channel that we use for our team to update one another on happenings and workshops and other kinds of things that are happening remotely right now.
0: That's good to to hear. At the University of Ottawa, it's a similar story as as I think it is at so many educational institutions and, and companies and other organizations across the country. It's incredible to see how quickly we've had to try to adapt, although of course for so many it's a challenge. And as we record this, there are literally millions of Canadians at home, schools are closed, and there's been a big shift, as many will know, towards online learning. That's a a big challenge. But I wanted to talk with you about some of the materials that get used and the value of something that you've been dedicated to for for many, many years. Uh, So why don't we start there? You've been a leader on two of the most significant open educational resource initiatives in Canada, both in D.C. and Ontario. And so why don't we start? by talking a bit about what Open Educational Resources, OERs, are, and then a little bit, if we can, about what we've seen take place in BC with BC Campus and the eCampus Ontario efforts.
1: Yeah, I mean, Open Educational Resources are a a really uh, opportune method for making uh, content available freely to learners and instructors. The idea has been around since about, 2000 uh i met david wiley the leading proponent of open content way back in 2001 and was enamored by his ideas of using the creative commons license to extend permissions for reuse and remixing beyond all rights reserved And so open content is really content that uh, works with copyright, uh, but allows the creator to extend rights in a very visible and obvious way to other users, allowing them to use the content, reuse it in other ways, remix it. Uh, redistribute it and uh, retain it uh, for as long as they'd like. And it's really the malleability of content that's created in that manner that makes it so useful to uh, instructors, faculty, teachers, and even end users.
0: Okay, so it's the flexibility that provides a, a great opportunity. Now, uh, uh, as you know, because you've been so involved with it, there's been big investments in at least a couple of provinces in, yes. in Ontario who've recognized the values, of, the value of of shifting to that kind of flexibility through OERs. Can you talk a bit about, I suppose, why don't we start first with BC, which really led yeah. the way in this regard?
1: Yeah, I mean, it started fairly early in British Columbia around 2002 when BC Campus was created by the government of the day, and it was really their thought that many, many programs were starting to go online, and it was driven by the need for Institutions to become more flexible in the way they delivered pro- programs, recognizing that many students had part time jobs, others were upgrading from within the, the workforce, and so getting lots of resources up was important. But very soon in that process, what government realized was that institutions were duplicating the efforts of others, and they were looking for a schema in British Columbia that would allow a single investment from government that could be amortized across broadly across institutions, and it was around that time, around 2003, that we began to see the Creative Commons license and the utility for using it uh, in a creative way to suit that online program development initiative that the government of British Columbia was funding, and there were many rounds of funding in British Columbia in those days to Uh, make more content available but at the same time there was not a lot of faculty engagement with the notion of making my resources available for free to anyone what about my moral rights Um, and it was only after we started to institute contractual arrangements around this is a resource that we're asking to be created for public use that there was more comfort with the licensing model. And around 2010, we began to get more systematic in British Columbia about how we could get the greatest bang for the government investment buck. And it was in 2012 that we really seized on the notion of open textbooks, and government at that point said, okay, we're about to fund uh, the 30 uh, highest enrolled courses in first and second year college and university, uh, big big enrollment classes, and we want you to find or build open resources to suit that need. And that was really the kickoff for the large-scale open textbook thinking that happened across North America and to date they they're closing in I think on about 15 million dollars of savings in British Columbia And uh, when I came here in 2016, the government of the day here in Ontario was also very interested in that idea and began to invest in an open library where we could bring in open resources for elsewhere and make them available for customization by our instructors and at the same time fund new development here in Ontario. And there have been some very creative projects initiated here.
0: Okay, just to, to sure people understand, so the, the model is effectively the government still is paying people to create these works. but rather than the traditional royal stream and a royalty stream that, that some people might be accustomed to, the, the bargain is create this some sort of funding to help create it in the first place, and then afterwards it's open and can be reused, freely distributed, adapted in the kinds of ways you've described.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. And um, right now, uh, there is no funding of that sort in Ontario, but uh, the government is still very interested in supporting the backbone, which is the open library, and the training components to help institutions and their faculty begin to create resources of this sort because there is an economy at work and it's either you are paid to do it and or you are paid uh, a stipend of release time to work on a project of that sort and the idea is that uh, intellectual property always lives with the creators, and, and there are often uh, faculty and uh, institution agreements on how the IP is shared. And, uh, but the resource created from the project must be openly licensed for use. You. So you can certainly run with it beyond the original and uh, do whatever you would like with it if you are the rights holder.
0: Okay, so BC starts off by really pushing the notion of open textbooks, identifies where the greatest need is, and as you've mentioned, the, the follow-on savings years later, with presumably those texts being available and then adopted as the course materials, runs into the millions of dollars for students who now have freely available open texts as opposed to purchasing the more conventional, often quite costly textbooks.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, And cost is only one part of it, and it it, it is really uh, emphasizing with student loans and and other cost issues for housing and food. And so stacked up against other uh, needs, uh, the notion of an open textbook is a way of really helping students lower one part of that cost equation for themselves. But we're also interested in the notion of... um, Community caring and sharing and collaboration among educators to build better and more effective resources. And so that is another part of the open education resource program that has has is having increased emphasis.
0: Okay. Can we talk a bit about that? Because certainly, especially at this point in time, with the the shift towards digital delivery, we're recording this using Zoom. Many classes are now using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Skype or Hangouts and a whole range of different technologies. We talk a lot about the technology side of it, but online learning is about more than just the technology used to deliver the teaching. It's also about adapting course materials to make them useful and relevant in this new context. And so so how, 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 how over the last number of years have we seen OERs play an important role in that?
1: Yeah, well, one of the ways to do that is to focus on discipline areas. And the great example here in Ontario is the heads of business in the college sector who have met Many times with my colleagues at eCampus Ontario uh, to talk about identifying 10 resources in first-year programs for business that might lend themselves to an open approach. And so they've been extremely supportive in releasing faculty and for time and um, paying for that time uh, and allowing them to work on these projects at the current time we've adapted two existing textbooks, one in business, one in uh, business communications, and modified them to include Canadian case studies and images that mirror the diversity of Canadians and Ontarians in particular. And we've added slide decks and problem sets and homework assignments and the things that faculty can adjust to suit their own preferences and student needs. And so when you get faculty together, and we've typically done it as a sprint model over a weekend of two or three days, getting them all together with graphic artists and instructional designers, and content experts to build that sense of community and how to do it back home at your own institution. It's a very popular and a very powerful model of content development that results in customizable open files that can be further customized to suit individual needs.
0: I mean, we often hear about the the need for Canadian materials and the. Sometimes there's a a sense that we rely too heavily on U.S. materials or foreign materials. This sounds as a real ideal way to bring educators together, create genuinely Canadian-based materials that not only are Canadian-based from the way that they're adapted at the beginning, but then open for further adaptation change uh, over time by different communities and educators across the country.
1: Yeah, and in fact, we've had a group of nursing instructors at uh, Ryerson University, University of Toronto, Centennial, and York, who have come together to build some custom materials to meet specific new needs in the healthcare uh, area, including uh, uh, information and uh, materials to support uh, vaccination and vaccine education information to support health and wellness related to the Canada Food Guide, Uh, information uh, uh, important to convey to new nurses about helping patients to understand self-care. So these kinds of resources that haven't even existed in, in the past are now being created by the practitioners themselves who teach our next generation of nurses. And that's a powerful message to get from your instructors
0: it is especially especially given the subject matter you just described and and where we find ourselves right now is that one of the core roles that ecampus ontario has been playing so less about the funding of new textbooks in the way that of the bc model more about aggregating what's out there and then trying to build community so that you can increase uh, adaptation
1: and adoption Absolutely, it's really about capacity building, and that is one of the roles that eCampus Ontario has played: is to build capacity within institutions through projects that we can help model to ensure that people understand all facets of the process and can replicate it with their colleagues back home at their institution and see how they can add value for their students. That's that real value add piece, Michael. That really captures their enthusiasm and their hearts and minds yeah
0: so I, i'm often accused of of un, being unable to have many conversations without copyright entering into the mix and this is going to be one of those conversations uh, it in ev- invariably arises as part of some of these discussions and especially as we see this almost overnight shift to online learning some of the copyright considerations are, are, are simply bound to arise and there may be publishers that have that restrict some of the online distance learning uses. Some of the collective licenses that are out there for those that are still using those collective licenses may may not even address these issues or include severe restrictions. Um, and so, as people turn to copyright and start thinking about some of this, we've got some distance education provisions, but they're very restrictive. We've got fair dealing, which would certainly offer the most potential, I would think, in this regard. But it's been subject. To a significant lobbying campaign to actually roll back education educational uses. So as a start, where do you see copyright fitting in here? Is, is one of the benefits of OER the ability to essentially use the copyright system, but uh, remove some of the concerns around
1: use? Well, I think we know that Licenses for openly licensed materials cannot work without copyright. They're based upon it. So our advice to faculty is to go directly to open resources when you can, because the license states explicitly the open rights extended to the user to reuse, remix, redistribute, and retain. There's no second guessing required or a fair use test to be met. It's a much more straightforward process. Also, having a completely native and open file for the set of resources means the content can be adapted for accessibility, language, cultural reasons. And when fair use resources are needed, libraries are your best resource to interpret the law and its process for testing how much can be used. I mean, at times like this, many vendors, particularly in the software industry and service industry, are making available for a limited time period uh, their Uh, resource more freely and more accessibly Um, and I've seen questions on Twitter just yesterday uh, from a health instructor to a health science publisher asking for similar support it's like here's a chance to demonstrate some citizen leadership by relaxing some of your copyright restrictions at this time but right now, my advice would be go directly to open resources. Then there is nothing to question, no hoops to be jumped. It's clear, it's explicit, and you can use it.
0: It is. I mean, that makes sense. It's it's interesting that that we are seeing some of those shifts take place. I, I recently did a podcast with Heather Joseph from Spark, talking about open access and the, specifically around open access to research around. Uh, COVID-19 research and the fact that some publishers are shifting in that regard to making them immediately open given the, the crisis situation, but that in the longer term, we need to be thinking about open access for scientific research. And this just provides a, a paradigm example about why that is. It sounds like much the, it's much the same case with respect to educational
1: materials
0: we've got lots of obviously full in copyright publisher based materials we've got fair dealing in particular that allows a fair amount of usage but given some of the intensity of the lobbying around that for some that creates a measure of uncertainty and oers offer up both the certainty of knowing that you can use reuse and adapt the materials uh, and also and at the while not having to necessarily focus on whether or not You can tick the right boxes with respect to a fair dealing analysis.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think it's much a much clearer and cleaner path to go the open route. And that's what we're going to be recommending to the faculty uh, over the next few months and be workshopping them on all aspects of it because there are lots of repositories out there from BC Campus to eCampus Ontario to the State University of New York, SUNY Open, uh, to OpenStax, where lots of high-quality resources live freely available, unrestricted for adaptation and use.
0: So so you've been actively engaged in this area, as we heard, for really two decades now. Uh, Given that this is a moment in time when we are seeing this massive shift towards distance online education out of this clear a necessity to engage in social distancing. It also seems like an opportune time to rethink not just the way that we deliver the materials, but the kinds of materials that we're using and how they're created. As, as you reflect back on, on your work over the last couple of decades, what do you see as uh, some of the barriers, let's say, to, in, to moving forward with that widespread adoption? How do we use this really difficult moment to have something good come out of it with greater flexibility, greater access, and greater Canadianness and adaptation to materials?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest barrier to date is really awareness and uh, confidence that it can help my teaching and learning and benefit my students. But I think given the timing, I think it's way more likely that aspects of remote teaching will soon become the norm And through this reality, the use of malleable, customizable open resources will find a new audience and faculty who may have been unaware of their benefits until now. And that is exactly what we are going to help them to to realize that these resources can lighten your load uh, customize the experience for your students and allow you to add your voice into the materials uh, in a way that is reflective of your research or your experience. And I think for faculty, it's a huge potential win.
0: Okay. Well, I think it's a, that's a good way to end it with an optimistic note at a time when a lot of people are searching for at least a, a bit of optimism. Uh, this is a, a tough time for educators, for students, for frankly society as a whole uh, and the opportunity to to adapt our teaching teaching our ways of teaching our way the way we engage in pedagogy to ensure that there is greater availability greater access and making it more affordable and using this time as as a as a, as, as a spark to try to do that uh, might be one of the good things that comes out of this
1: Absolutely, I think that uh, sums it up well, Michael. And I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, not only that social distancing will help us uh, win the day, but it will also help us turn the corner on ways we think about teaching and learning and how we might do it in a, a much more accessible and relaxed way.
0: Well, let's hope so, David. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron Leboy.